0: The father told the story of taking his five-year-old to Disney World. It was all the little boy could talk about for weeks. And now that they were finally there, the boy loved the idea that he'd get to see Goofy and Mickey Donald, Daisy, Minnie, and the whole gang. He was so hyped up. They parked the car. They could see the castle and the rides away in the distance. They made their way to the ticket sales, and then they entered through the gates. They entered into a relatively small room, or area, I should say, where families could have their pictures taken with all the Disney characters. Then they were going to go into the main park. But the little boy did not understand that. He thought that the small entrance area, where all the characters were, was the park. And when his dad tried to herd him into the park itself, the boy threw an absolute fit. The boy thought that they had finally gotten to this wonderful world of Disney World that everybody talks about. And then his dad was just going to take him away and remove him from that area. He fought with all that he had. But as his dad brought him around the corner, there was the whole park with all the rides and all the wonder. And the boy's cries became shrieks of joy. Think about it. The boy had to leave what he thought was good to get to what his dad knew was better. That is our thought and theme this morning. The title is, This World is Not My Home. There's a song that we sing. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We think about that song. It declares that the world is good, but just good. But heaven is so much better our text today takes us even one step further. Our text is found in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, we'll just be looking at three verses. 1 John two fifteen tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's repeated elsewhere in Scripture in James we're starting a Bible study in James I'm, i shouldn't say yeah you know, see how sometimes the way you hesitate we're not just starting a hesi- you know a Bible study it sounds like we just started a Bible study we've been doing a Bible study and we have just started James as our book of study and James chapter 4 verse 4 tells us do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity or hatred with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Mark 8 and 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very own soul? Now there's a couple of reasons why I think God stresses this so hard. The first is, we know that the things of this world are deceptive. This world offers things that appear to just be good. But they're not the things that God refers to as good or desirable. These good things can often come, become substitutes for that which God has planned that is better. Notice, now going back to our text, 1 John 2, now read verse 16. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Years ago, I heard a preacher preach on this very passage. He tied First John 2 to a story in the Old Testament, the story of Adam and Eve. I know you've heard that story, Adam and Eve, over and over again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all the animals, birds, fish of the sea. And then he created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And he placed them in a beautiful garden. I know the Bible doesn't say, but I can picture Adam and Eve treating the animals as they've their own personal pets. It made me think of this, because for some reason on my phone, I keep getting anaconda or um, these um, big python you know, just uh, black different snake. Every, I, I don't like snakes, but for everything over in Australia, all these snake problems and then the Everglades, Everglades all the snake problems they're talking about. And it even showed a video of a, a, some woman that's a specialist in this, pulling this big, big snake out of somebody's swimming pool in the fight that the snake had and so on. And I'm thinking, Adam and Eve. The fear that we have of that. And I'm picturing this garden that they're the the animal trainers. They're the only ones around. I'm thinking, do they feed the animals? I'm picturing them petting. Could you imagine the different animals? The elephants, the ball, all these wild animals. And I picture these personal pets. I can imagine seeing them scratch the ears of a lion. Like we do with our own cat at home. Or playing tag with the monkeys or jumping around with the kangaroos. And there are many Bible scholars who think that there were occasions when God would come and talk with Adam and Eve. We have a song. He he talks with them and he walks with them. And he tells them that they are his own. And the joy that we share if we tarry there. One other has ever known. God told Adam... One evening, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course, that's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. They had everything they could possibly want. Just not that tree. But then one day, Satan becomes whispering, and easier as we know, in Genesis 3 and 5, did God really say that? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And with that, Satan planted a doubt in Eve's mind. Doubt. Think about the times that we get in trouble when we doubt, when we know what we should do, but we have doubt. We think, what if? Hmm, nobody, what if I were just to try this once? You shall not eat or you shall surely die. But what does Satan say? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Didn't they have it all? But did they want more? Once Satan got Eve to doubt God, to take her eyes off of God, Remember our scripture reading this morning? Present your body as a living sacrifice to God. The rest was easy. He got her to thinking, maybe we're, you're right. Maybe God has deceived me. Maybe God has denied me what I really want and doesn't want me to have what I really want. Think about today. What draws people to do what they do? Because they want it their way. I want to notice what Genesis 2.9 says. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and the trees that were good for food. Did you see that? There were all kinds of trees. They were pleasing to the eye. They were good for food. But then in Genesis 3.6, we read, When the woman saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, Now that it was pleasing to the eyes, she took of the fruit and ate it. There were all kinds of fruit in the garden. Good for food. There were all different kinds of fruit that were pleasing to the eye. But this fruit was different, wasn't it? It wasn't like all the kinds of fruit. Because, why? This was the one that God said you cannot have. And so she desired it. She wanted it so badly, she could almost taste it. And that's what our text today in 1 John 2 is talking about. This tree appealed to her desire of the flesh. Eve believed that this tree was good for food, even though all the other trees in the garden were good for food also. We notice that the toil, the work, The thorns, I picture mosquitoes and flies and all the maggots and all those different things, didn't exist in the garden. We know after sin, God gave a curse and cast them out of the garden. So I picture a garden in which everything's beautiful. There's no weeding. There's no thorns. And so it appears to her desire of the eyes. Genesis says that the tree appealed to Eve because it was pleasing to her. It was pleasing to the eye. But Genesis tells us that all the other trees were also pleasing to the eye. Now there's a kind of overlap with these two desires. Because when people see what they want, they sense a desire in the flesh for what they've seen. And when that happens, they'll do what they have to do no matter what it costs to get what they want. And when it sometimes... Sometimes it's those things that they shouldn't have that they desire the most. Because they know they shouldn't have it, it creates a greater desire to show that they can get it. And then, of course, they get trapped in sin. I remember reading the story of a six-year-old boy in Wisconsin who tried playing one of those crane-operated games. you ever do that? The, The claw. I remember my grandsons doing that. And I got tricked into that for a while. But it's very frustrating because your claw comes down and it looks like it grabs and you get so excited. But the way they must have packed that, the claw starts coming up and you see the thing start to get lifted and then the claw comes off. It's like that was so packed that you couldn't quite have enough force to lift that out. And you look at all those toys prizes inside. Hmm. This boy was so entranced at those plush toys inside, they were pleasing to his eyes. Although he probably had all these different toys at home, he desired that he have to have that one. How many times now, as we ad- adults say, come on, we have all the- we have those things at home. Oh, but no, that isn't good enough. They want that one, that particular one. So he looks at it. He felt the desire of the flesh to have that one for his very own. And then, He climbed inside. He desired so much to have that when his parents weren't looking, he climbed inside the machine. By the time the firefighters arrived, he had managed to get almost completely inside with just his right foot hanging out. He was trapped. But the firemen finally got the game unlocked and released him unharmed. For that short period of time, The desires of his flesh and his eyes trapped him. There's an old saying, all that glitters is not gold. It encapsulates what our text is trying to tell us today. Lots of stuff glitters like gold. It looks so appealing that we think we have to have it. I think about all those commercials years ago with the, com- the um, cereals and so on. They knew in the kids, the cartoons. They always appealed to the kids. And I remember thinking, oh man, that that the toy, the way they make it look on TV has got to be the best toy ever. I don't know about you, but I got it home and it didn't quite do the same things that those people were able to do on TV. Or that chef, those chefs. When they take that knife and just, you know, in, in 30 seconds, they have a whole dinner cut up. Yeah, I have all these slices on my fingers and, and my meat doesn't look like how they sliced it. They just don't work that way. We think about the deception that takes place. We feel like we have to have it. Our eyes fool us and we get trapped into sin as that young man got trapped. That trap could be pornography. It could be drugs or alcohol. It could be gambling. It could be approval of our friends that makes us engage in activities that we shouldn't be doing. It could be trying to possess the things that we can't afford. Trying to gain those things that we shouldn't have. Remember one of the commandments? Covet not your neighbor's stuff. Your, whether it be the neighbor's wife or the items do not steal. But they just have to have them. And so they'll do whatever they have to do. And justify however they have to justify to get those things they want. And my point is this. Your desires and my desires can hurt us just like they hurt Adam and Eve. And the only way to combat this evil is to get your eyes off of the things of the world and focus on God and what his will is for our lives. There's a third thing I'd like to mention that I think is mentioned in First John that I found very interesting. It's called the pride of life. That was the real target of Satan's temptation of Eve. What does he tell her in Genesis 3 and 5? God knows that when you eat of, your, of, of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of this fruit and ate. In Genesis 3, 5, and 6. The desire to make one wise was where she really bought into Satan's lie. What else did she need to know? God had provided all four. We think about if we were in that garden, if we were those first creations that God made, would we have been different? It's easy for me to think back, you know, just like anyone else, to put blame on somebody else. I can't believe they were that foolish to give up all of that. And we sometimes turn like Adam and Eve did. Wanting more. The pride of life is when we want, when we want to be in charge. When we want to be right. When we want to express our opinions. When we want it our way. That's why there's so much conflict in the world. Nobody, no, I shouldn't say it that way. Nobody wants to just give that right up, or or not many people, because I said there are some that do. Obviously, Christians do do that. But most people want their way. People fighting over stuff because they want things their way. They want to be in control. They want to be their own God. The only way to combat that evil in our eyes is to fix our eyes on Jesus. We all know of those verses, Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I noted that I believe that there are a couple of reasons God focuses on telling us not to love the world. The first was that the world can deceive us and trap us into accepting substitutes for what God really wants to give us and what God desires us to have and choose. The second reason I believe God stresses this so strongly is because we kind of like this world. I mean, I've, we look at the beauty of the seasons and nature and what God has given us. We have friends. There are many things to be happy for in our lives, our family, the joy that we have with them. The church The encouragement we get from one another. Some of us have nice homes that we really enjoy. Nice cars. Our health is, in most cases, pretty good. We've got no complaints. So why shouldn't I like this world? And that's not an uncommon thought. One preacher observed that there are all these songs about heaven. We think about our singing. We sing about when we get to heaven. Sing to me of heaven. When the roll is called a yonder, In the sweet by and by. And we could go on and on and on. But he said, you know, when it's all said and done, and when people are on their deathbed, what do they tend to do? We're not homesick anymore for heaven, are we? Now what happens? They want to have just one more minute, one more hour, one more day. They literally, many will literally grasp at life with greedy hands to have just a little while longer on earth. That's what happened back in the Old Testament. One of the kings, King Hezekiah. We think about King Hezekiah. we can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. It tells us, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. We know that the prophet Isaiah went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order. Because you are going to die, you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Why did Hezekiah weep bitterly, you would ask? He didn't want to die. He was a godly man. Lots of people don't want to die. They don't want to leave this world behind. I mean, it's all that they've ever known. It's easy to fall in love with this world. The future is scary in many cases, isn't it? There's times that we you know, look to... Things that we don't know. We don't know what will happen in the future. But God says, don't do it. It's a trap. The world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Again, I go back to 1 John chapter 2, our text. And I'm going to read verse 17 now. It tells us, "...and the world is passing away along with its desires." But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. In verse 17, John reminds us of the fleeting nature of worldly pursuits. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. The world, its attractions are temporary. They are destined to fade away. Our fixation on accumulating possessions, on seeking self-gratification and pursuing worldly success will ultimately prove futile. None of these endeavors can provide lasting satisfaction or eternal significance. On the other hand, When we align our lives with God's will, seek to please him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. We participate in the eternal purpose of the kingdom. Our obedience of his commandments and the pursuit of righteousness grant us an everlasting inheritance. We find true joy. We find that peace, that passeth all understanding. When I was a kid, I couldn't say that. I had to say it slow. The peace of with all you know, he tried to say that as a tongue twister. But we have the peace. And I always try to wonder, how could there be a peace that passive all understanding? Because there, in our lives right now, all we know, there's times that it's beautiful. Serenity, the peace. I remember years ago, my wife and I, for our 25th wedding anniversary, we went to Hawaii. And they talk about going up to the top one of the nature's things, Homolaka, one of those Indian names, what, Mount Laka, Laka, or whatever. Um, we, we went all the way to the top, pitch black. You want to watch the sunrise from up there. We're on a top of a mountain, super high altitude. And you just sat there. And it was so quiet and peaceful. We were amazed that when the sun came up, you thought you were standing there by yourself It was so peaceful. The sun starts to come up and you start to look around. There had to be at least a thousand people standing around us. But it was so peaceful. Just, and it was almost like you see God, you know, like the sun rising and just the, just the peace that passes. You start to understand it. But, But my point being though, that peace doesn't seem like it passes for us in eternity. It was beautiful then, but we came back down and then you get back into the reality of life. And you have those fragments of peace. But we think about heaven being in that moment forever. And it's so much we can't comprehend. But that peace, that path is all understanding. And the fulfillment by living in harmony with God's design. And why on earth would you want to stay here? You would ask. This is just the place where, for no other better term, we get our pictures taken. This is where God has us live for a little period of time. we get got our pictures taken to live in that tranquility that he set up for us. The real park, as that young man saw, we're right now just in the little small segment, seeing the characters, reading about people of God's word, that we get our pictures taken. But the real park is just on the other side of the gate. And that's where our Father has something far better for us waiting. Just inside that gate, where we can see the beauty. We read Revelation, we can't understand that street of gold, mansions built for us. There's no way we can comprehend that. So in my closing this morning, what is the most important thing? Many Christians have noted that it is knowing that this life is not all there is. Life on earth is just a dress rehearsal before the real production. Life on earth is just beyond our imagination. We will spend far more time on the other side of death in eternity than we will here. Earth is the staging area. It's the preschool. It is the tryout time for our life in eternity. This life is preparation for the next. At most, you will be living 100 years on earth. Well, God bless you, Mom. I hope you live a little longer than that. But but most of the time, we figure 100 years is a century mark. My wife's a caregiver, and she has a woman that's 101 going on 102. She had a gentleman that was 104 that passed away. We think about what is our life span on earth? You think about that, as James talks about, it's just a just a quick vapor in a mirror, just a quick image in the mirror that you saw and walked away. But you will spend forever in eternity. It was being said that this life is but a small parenthesis in eternity. You will spend your entire life there. So, I'd like to look at the words of First John 2 again, First John 2:15 through 17, as I sum this up, my text. That, those verses echo throughout the ages. It guides us in the choices that we make each day. As we navigate a world filled with enticing distractions, we must guard our hearts and minds against falling prey to these empty promises. Let us remain vigilant and our commitment to prioritize our relationship with God above all else. Recognizing that the pleasures and pursuits of the world pale in comparison to the eternal treasures found in God. May we continually seek God's guidance and strength to overcome. That is what I encourage of you this morning. We know that each lesson, each Service, we have the opportunity to come forward, whether to dedicate our lives in baptism or to ask for the prayers of the congregation. Whatever your need is this morning, you have that opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.